So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. And uh, we just finished up our little segment on Noom. So if you enjoyed that, we're going to tackle something else today. We're going to talk about um, intermittent fasting because Liz gave me a call last week and said, hey, I'm thinking maybe intermittent fasting is for me. And I said, okay, cool. Why? And she was like, I don't know. And so we thought this would be a great next podcast to do, to talk about why or why not to try intermittent fasting and what exactly is it? I saw a YouTube video and, and the person was like, I lost a lot of weight. Here's like, here's like my year result of intermittent fasting. And even though I've tried intermittent fasting before with uh, not great results. More specifically about your first experience with it, like how strict of an intermittent fast was it? Was it like an eight hour feeding window? Was it, I don't eat before noon? Like what were the rules of your intermittent fast when you did it the first time? If I recall, and I did it like probably right before we met, um, (laughs) <laughs> it's probably like I did intermittent fasting. And then as you know, when we met, I was doing keto. Huh. Um, so kind of just like one after another, you know, and, uh, I think, I think I was trying to do that. Um, probably like an eight hour window, which didn't work out well. Um, but I also feel that I did not, I don't know what, what, giving it a good old college try really entails but I feel like I didn't do that because I read all this literature that really freaked me out about how it could really fuck up your hormones and my hormone my my periods like I said have have ever since my days of anorexia have been really weird and now they're they're coming back to normal after lots of work so it kind of it gave me definitely gave me like the shove to be like maybe don't do this <laughs> well I mean, this is the this is why it's interesting to talk about it is because even though you know like cognitively at this point you don't want to repeat these patterns these dieting patterns you see a youtube video you see a new product come out and still again even as somebody who generates marketing themselves you're susceptible to maybe this time this will work for me and yeah. that's interesting and so, you know, I think that's worth discussing, but that's really, you know, aside from the fact of like all of these different plans have some commonalities, right? It doesn't matter which diet you pick. There are some common factors. We can, we can talk about that um, as we discuss more in depth the, the ideas behind intermittent fasting and history. Um, but the reality is, and the reason I asked you about structure first is no matter what you decide to do, if you want to lose weight or if you want to make a change, Structure really is critical. And so it may not be that intermittent fasting doesn't work. It may be that the structure you were using wasn't for you and that a different structure would work. But we always tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater with the all your yeah. anxiety because we make these big, big changes 
and then they don't feel like they're working. And so we tuck them out and we go back to square one. And so this, again, it comes up the black and white, all or nothing thinking of like, well, intermittent fasting works or it doesn't. And yeah, Noom will work or it doesn't. And we discussed what the issues with Noom were because it's not necessarily that if you strictly adhere to what Noom is telling you, you won't lose weight. I'm not saying that. And I hope I didn't imply that last time. And I'm also saying that if you find intermittent fasting strategy that you can stick to, um, you know, that will work too, but it's about structure. What rules do you want to play the game by? You get to decide that you have to, you have to follow the rules. And so we come back around to like this idea of sustainable structure. So let's talk specifically now about what intermittent fasting is and how many different ways and flavors there are to fast and how fasting sort of is a a thing in many, many cultures, right? Like for lots of reasons. So what did you do? You did some homework. Because I'm not going to use the word research because I feel like (laughs) anybody calling, watching videos on YouTube and like listening to other people talk about stuff, (laughs) I think we all need to move away from that, right? Like, this is not research. I did in-depth research from this influencer who lost all this weight. Um, and that's not their research. one experience. It was really in-depth peer-reviewed research. Well, and that's the thing, like we're <laughs> in this podcast. We're not researchers, we're not, you know, I'm not some like dark <laughs> expert on anything. I'm just a person trying to help other people with like working on their stuff, right? And maybe I don't have all the answers. I mean, I definitely don't have all the answers, but like, you know, that doesn't stop us from discussing stuff and seeing if we can move forward. So let's discuss it. So, all right. So intermittent fasting came up on YouTube and you were like, intermittent fasting. Tell me about it. What do you know about it? Okay. So what I, I feel like the first time I ever heard the term was from The Rock, who is like a huge fan of intermittent fasting. Um, and so then I started being like, what's, what's that? I mean, I've done fasts in the past. Um, and my, my dad is still under the belief and maybe he's right. I don't know where, if you're, if you're sick, like with a cold or something, it's really good to fast. You know, if you can, if you don't have to do any like major activity, um, because it helps your body fight the cold. So like all this, you know, belief that, digestion takes a lot of energy from you and you can use that energy for other things. You know, we, I come from, um, like a Hindu Christian background. So fasting is really, really big, a really big part of, um, healing. Uh, and then I feel like, I feel like the diet industry has really taken that and they're like, yeah, you can just, you just heal yourself of all your problems and you just like fast and, um, so now it's kind of like a weird bastardized, like what is fasting? Why, why, why do we do it? And, uh, so there's a lot, I have a lot in my background, you know, that, that influences what my idea of fasting is. So I just wanted to like throw that out there. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about historically what fasting is and, you know, some, some of the places that you can find it, not all, this is, you know, this is not an exhaustive account of fasting, but like from an anthropology point of view, right? Like if you look back far enough in human history, calories were not abundant and we had to chase them pretty, you know, persistently in order to survive. And at that point, you didn't really get a choice whether you were fasting or not, you were fucking starving. So 
like any calories we found were awesome calories. And then as we evolved and we developed agriculture, we were able to sustainably um, take calories in on a regular basis. We were no longer afraid of it. We were oftentimes like hearkening back to the hardships of the past. And you'll see this a lot um, in foundations of religious fasting. Like we're talking about, let's remember the tragedies. Let's remember the hardships. Let's, let's pay homage to these times because we're in better times now, but we shouldn't forget what we had to go through to get here. And so fasting has these origins of spirituality and self-sacrifice and of suffering, right? That we're trying to program it. You know, when you, any religious text that you read is going to talk about human condition and suffering and how to overcome it. That's a huge part of religion, right? Mm-hmm. It's the driving, motivating factor for everybody is trying to survive and suffer the least, I think. I mean, that's a little pontificating, but it's also true <laughs> because... You know, if you really want to look at the origins of fasting and then look at how we are applying it today, I think there's a really interesting link there. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, fine, we've got all sorts of examples in religious um, cultures of fasting. You've got Ramadan, you've got Lent, right, which isn't necessarily a, a food fast. You can fast on whatever you want for Lent, right? You can pick whatever you want to give up. But the idea is you're restricting yourself. Yeah. Right. So I think I know. Which is so, which is so sexy when you're talking about like diet culture. Ooh, I'm I'm restricting myself, and therefore, you know, major changes are going to occur without without thought of like, am I going to be able to sustain this? And I kept on. I went on this long hike yesterday, and well, it wasn't that long. I went on this hike yesterday, and, and I was. I remember just like over and over because I was thinking about, I was thinking about fasting and I'm like, I am not interested in doing anything that is not sustainable. I've learned from at least years and years of doing yo-yo dieting um, and really toxic behaviors and relationships with food and exercise. I'm like, I'm not fucking interested in doing it. If it's not sustainable, I'm fucking done. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna do something again where I'm just like, when can I be done with this? Oh my God, I hate my life so much. Right. And I think this is the interesting question is like, how, is there a way you could apply fasting in a sustainable way? Like, is there a fasting cycle you could run that wouldn't feel restrictive and that would feel mm-hmm. therapeutic? Because this is the, this is the issue again, is if we talk about like, I have to fast um, for the rest of my life and so no, it's not sustainable and no culture says you should fast year round for the rest of your life. Like there are periods and there are also exemptions. You know, if you look at Ramadan, like pregnant and lactating women do not fast. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, it's one of these things where if, if you only have the surface level of the thing, and I mean that for any topic, right. And it's easy to know a little bit about a lot and draw conclusions from that, like, then it's easy to say, well, everybody fasts in this culture. So therefore I should figure out how to do it too. Right. Those are dangerous conclusions to draw because the reality is it's actually quite nuanced who fasts and why, and, you know, for how long and in what way. And there's like huge, huge, like cultural traditions. Like one of the traditions that I learned about from a friend of mine was that traditionally you break the fast of like Ramadan in the evening with a date. And so 
using this very specific food over centuries, it turns out there's actually a lot of nutrition science behind why dates are an optimal food to break a fast with. Well, because Moses was wandering through the desert and he found a, a, a date tree, right? And then yeah. and then he was like, oh, thank God. And because of that. <laughs> I mean, well, there's that part of the story. Right? <laughs> But I don't know. I'm just remembering really just remembering the Ten Commandments, which I really loved as a kid. Right. <laughs> but the point is that there's a reason this tradition is held on. If he had found like a snake and eaten a snake and that wasn't actually nutritionally super sound, they probably still wouldn't be doing it. But over centuries of continuing to eat dates to break a fast, like they've actually figured out that there's a really good reason to do it. And, you know, dates are super packed full of all sorts of vitamins and minerals, and they have obviously a lot of sugar. And so if you've been fasting for a long time, it really gets your metabolism revved up, just like a diabetic. If they're crashing, if their blood sugar is really low, oh my God, my cat. <laughs> like all night last night. Did you hear him? I mean, you yeah, can- yeah. Wait, was that, was that Pip? Yes. He's been an obnoxious bastard for like 24 hours. I was on some deep crap about a date too. Like, all right, they say, oh, the diabetic. <laughs> how- if you go into diabetic um, hypoglycemia, hypoglycemia, yes, yes, right, you need to give a diabetic sugar right away. And so this is actually interestingly tied into how your metabolism works. But you wouldn't know that if you just were like always brought up to be like the first thing you eat when you break a fast is a date. Just do that shit, like because that's what we do. So there's a really cool overlap between cultural beliefs and traditions and science that we're we're learning now. And so that's cool. So what often happens with intermittent fasting or with, you know, the new version of fasting is it gets held up as this like, oh, this is a tried and tested cultural, you know, technique and people are super used to doing it and it's really spiritual and it's good for you and it'll give you all these benefits. But the truth is a lot of times in Ramadan, people gain weight, <laughs> which is a little interesting. Really? Yes. And I think if you don't know people who go through Ramadan and it depends on how you do it. Right. But I think if you, if you just take it on the surface value of like, Oh, fasting equals weight loss, then, you know, you could draw a lot of faulty conclusions there because that's not necessarily the case. Because even within these cultures that restrict, what you find is there's a relief period. There's this, you know, this swinging back of the pendulum that I talk about all the time. If you push that pendulum over really hard, the longer you hold it there, the bigger the return swing. And so, you know, you see just as much of that in people who have fasted routinely for spiritual. And there's almost always a feast that ends the fast. Like, yeah, always. There's a big feast because it's trying to get over that, like, oh yeah, I did the really hard thing and I suffered and I restricted myself and now I get to celebrate. Ah, and this is very like typical human nature stuff, which is cool. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like recognize that if you attempt to do something like intermittent fasting and you never do the feasting, you're holding your pendulum up real high for real long. And that's why it's unsustainable. Is there a way to make intermittent fasting not a pendulum hold up? Okay, let me lay it out. I wanted to work on intermittent fasting, but that's really just like the title I'm using for cutting off for control, but also cutting off like the eating opportunities because I really struggle at night. Like a lot of people, I really freaking struggle at night where I'm just like, I want to eat something 
and I need something to cap my day. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of components there um, as usual. And the, you know, the initial question was, is there a way to implement intermittent fasting that doesn't create a pendulum swing? Does he need to be picked up and like, does he need to be picked up and cuddled or something? I don't know. Now he wants to go out, but he's not allowed. He's a bad boy and legged it. And I had to run through mud and chase him. Oh, no. Oh, look at that boy. You just need love. Wiggle, 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 wiggle. (laughs) Dude, this is a really cool thing to be talking about. And I can't get through a solid thought. It's really upsetting. So I'm just going to hold this lump of cat. See what happens. Can you see him? Oh, look at that boy. He's like, this isn't so bad. I guess I needed some love. So we were talking about intermittent fasting from the point of view of structure, creating extra structure and control because you're, you're struggling with portion control. And that's the tendency. It's the writing reflex of like, I know what I need. I just need to like control myself more. Because <laughs> that's what's going wrong. I'm out of control and I can't control my eating and eating. So obviously I just need to be harder on myself and create more rules. But the reality is, is like, Yes, you need rules. There need to be food rules, right? And one of the things that you see in other cultures are much more strict food rules. And we'll talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that and how that plays in. And then when you get to America, there are very, very few food rules, like restricted food rules. They're more shame-based. Intermittent fasting seems like another great new structure that you can implement to stop yourself from executing behaviors you don't want to be executing on and you know we've talked before about how oftentimes nighttime eating is either i haven't had enough nutrients during the day and my body's looking for them before the end of the the 24-hour period right or i'm emotionally eating because something happened to me during the day that i want to cope with or deal with yeah and so i just want to i just yeah i just want to reward for getting through another day i just want a freaking reward like good job you survive the day. That's what I'm looking for. And those are patterns. It's not that you can't do that and still sustainably, you know, either lose weight or have a healthy body weight or whatever it is your goal is. It's just to the degree that, of which you're doing these things. And so, you know, if you if you look across um, other cultures and their food rules, like I lived in France and the Czech Republic and my husband is English. And so I also have spent a ton of time in Germany. So if you look across just these four cultures that I've had, this personal relationship with each and every one of them have much more structured food rules. There are structured eating times where people consistently eat. Everybody stops at lunchtime, you know, like in, in Germany. And I'm not sure if this is still true because it's been a little while since I've been, but you know, grocery stores are closed on Sundays closed. Oh my God. That's when everyone shops in America (laughs) and in France they close from 12 to two. So if you didn't already figure out what you were having for lunch before 12 o'clock, you're fucked. And so it's like, you have to live in a way where you structure your meals or you don't get to eat regularly. And so there's external pressure for you to create an eating routine that matches up with what everybody else is doing. And in America, it's a free for all. And I, I remember really, um, not realizing that until I lived in France and got really frustrated by the situation that like, oh, I was like, oh, well, I don't know what I have for lunch today. I'll just go grab something at lunchtime. And then I was like, oh, 
I can't do that. I have to go sit in a restaurant for two hours or not eat or whatever. And then I thought back over my college days and I would like wake up and eat cereal or whatever for breakfast. And then somebody would call me like an hour later and be like, Hey, want to go out for breakfast? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's Hobbit level shit. Like that's the second part. So I, it really occurred to me living in other places just how different we approach food in America and our, our attempts at controlling that manifests in these diets. Our attempts to create structure and rules for ourselves around food because they're not culturally imposed on us. I mean, what the rules that are culturally imposed on us are like eat as much as you can for as little money as possible. Yeah. That's the underlying theme. It also takes I feel like we take away the joy, the joy of eating, the experience of eating. And, and then we could, we just go straight to punishment instead of like, Oh, we have these structures set up so that we can really enjoy, you know, what we have and our eating opportunities. It's just like, no, no, you eat as much as possible. Like you said, for as cheap as possible. And then you punish yourself. But as quickly as possible too, because you don't need to stop to eat. You've got shit to do. And so there's yeah. the, this like triangle paradigm of opposite food behaviors that create health. You know, when you look at what we work on primarily is restoring your relationship with food. We're talking about eating slowly, talking about taking care of yourself. We're talking about stopping when you're 80% full. You know, we're talking about literally the opposite pyramid of things that we want you to do to what you're currently probably doing if you're struggling to control your intake. And so it, it is all about like, kind of the food culture we've developed in America and, and looking at that a little bit differently. So when we look at fasting, it's sort of like we're looking at another cultural way of trying to eat like, Oh, Hey, these people just like don't eat for long periods of time. It's like, well, I mean, they may not have access to food. That's a shitty reason to not eat, but that may be why that's a thing, or it may be there's a religious reason and it's, you know, to think back or like I say, pay homage to a time of hardship like that, but that's not now. That's like a, it's, I don't know. It's like, what's the word I want? Philosophical? No, that's not the right yeah. thing. But it's like, it's a, it's an exercise. Yeah. <laughs> so if we talk like next, if we talk specifically <clears throat> about what you're supposed to do in intermittent fasting, because there's like 16 different ways you can quote unquote intermittent fast, right? You can have an eight hour feeding win window. You can make sure you don't eat before noon and you only eat until 10 p.m. or whatever. Like you can structure this however you want. Um, but it, it does the same thing, right? It creates a structure, it creates a set of food rules for you to adhere to. But if you if you just create rules and punishment for yourself, then you're working on shame again. Yeah. As long as any of your structures are based on, on shame alone and you know, negative reinforcement, you're going to rebel against it. That's what I'm working really hard. You just, yeah, you just uh, hammer that nail on the head. What's the term? Hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Hit the nail. You hammered it good. I, um, <laughs> I <laughs> am very interested in having some more eating structure to help me with my with my portion controls. Um, and I don't want to use the word control. What's another? This is the trouble. If you get too, <laughs> everything becomes problematic and you feel lost again. So it's not. Like, yeah. I wouldn't, don't nitpick it so much that like you can't move forward because then 
that's, that's that's what I'm scared of. I keep on wanting to add rules because I'm a Virgo and I'm a control person, and I'm just like, just add more rules, and then and then you have all these rules, and that feels really really safe and really comforting. I mean, you can't fuck up because you have all these rules. Yeah, well, welcome the you know welcome to the modern diet. Every single modern diet has a strict set of rules. And if you just follow those rules, you'll get results. And it's true. It's, I'm not saying like, I don't want anybody ever listening to this podcast to hear that if you follow a diet plan specifically to the letter that you won't lose weight, you absolutely will lose weight on any diet, <clears throat> any diet that restricts your calories and requires you to move more, you're going to eventually lose weight, right? Like it's a myth that you can move more and eat less and not ever lose any weight. You may face some metabolic challenges. You may face you know, some your, of your body regulating itself so that it's making that harder for you. But like, if you just stop eating, you lose weight, period. Yeah, It's the laws of thermodynamics. You can't freaking exist without yeah. losing energy. So with that in mind, if we set that up as the foundation, then everything else in between is just steps on a spectrum of what do I need to do to, to maintain my energy balance in a way that is sustainable and psychologically beneficial. Yeah. And I think for me going down this, this kind of new path, because I've been very, very consistent with my workout routine. Yeah. Which is, and like, yeah, and that, that feels great. And I even added in an extra hike a week. Um, and it feels, it feels really good. The structure is there and I have great momentum and it feel it, feels comforting because I, I feel like it's really self-care and not self-punishment, which I think is the thing, you know, because I'm doing things I love. I'm doing, I'm really <clears throat> into getting out in nature. And so I hike a lot. Um, I do a little bit of yoga. I do some weightlifting and it all feels like, okay, I'm, I get like rewarded. Like I can go on my long hike and be in nature. And that feels, you know, it's like, it's a reward. Um, which is interesting. Like, because that's what you were talking about needing at the end of the day is you feel felt like you deserved a reward for having uh-huh. gotten for a day. So that indicates that you've got like a, I have to suffer through the day and then I get my reward mentality. Whereas if you shift that to something closer to like my day, I get to enjoy my day and do productive things that make me feel good about myself and help other people and take care of my body. Then maybe when you get to the end of the day, you won't feel like you need a reward. Yes, but uh-huh. so I know we've talked about that specifically before about like making sure you take care of yourself enough and get get uh, rest periods throughout the day to make sure you don't get to the end of the day and your gas tank is empty. So you're like, I need to fill it up no matter what, you know. Um, but I feel like, you know, with work, I feel like there's a certain level of you have to be on, you have to be on it which I find is exhausting no matter what, even if I, even if I take breaks, I feel like mentally I have to be on it. Um, so it just doesn't, it's, you know, it's just, I still feel like at the end, I'm like, I deserve a reward for that. And not, you know, like a personal reward, not like everyone clapped for me, but like, cause we're all doing the same thing, but like, Hey, what, you know, what can you do? So I've been tinkering. I've been doing a lot of tinkering, with, uh, with things and thoughts and feelings and looking at my natural patterns and my desires. So 
I also tried the the eating dinner before going out on a hike because the sun is setting later now. And I thought, you know, maybe if I go on a hike, that's like my evening activity. And then I will come and then I'll come back and be all like, yeah, now I just feel good. I don't feel like I want to, you know, have a little cap, a little eating cap at night. But no, because I, I know now like what I really love, I love to go on my hike. And then I also love to have the idea of like, ooh, when you get home, you can have dinner. And isn't that because you're, you know, this hike is can be, you know, depending on how much I push myself, it can be really exhaustive. And it's really exciting to be all like, oh, now after that hike, I get to go home and have a nice dinner and just relax. That's and that's the joy. The way you talked about that, because what I heard was that eating in any way still feels shameful to you that you don't ever deserve to eat. Even after a long hike, you don't deserve to come home and enjoy your meal. You have to rationalize that. And I think that's where the yeah. is for you because that's what you're saying is completely normal and enjoyable and fun. I mean, food tastes awesome after a good exercise, you know, effort or some kind of time in nature or a challenge. Food is the, it is a reward. I mean, I'm not saying that we have to decide that food is just fuel and you shouldn't ever feel any happiness or pleasure or an enjoyment around food. In fact, you should feel a lot. And, and that's actually one of the rules I was going to propose for you is that rather than restrictive rules and saying, I can only eat between these times because I don't deserve food any other time. Mm-hmm. Have it be something like I get to eat whenever my body is hungry and I'm going to eat something that's super duper tasty at whatever it is that's healthy for me that I can think of that I want to eat. I'm going to eat that. I'm going to enjoy the shit out of it. Like that's the rule. That's the rule. Don't eat shit that doesn't make you satisfied and happy and fulfilled. That's the rule. And that is actually one of my rules. And it helped me so much overcoming like what I viewed as a a complete sugar addiction. I really thought like, I'm never going to be able to look at cake and have any, any ounce of self-control until I was able to say, I can have as much of that cake as I want. And it's fine because the rest of everything else I'm eating is really healthy, good stuff. I deserve that cake. I genuinely deserve that cake with no shame and no guilt and no nothing. Like, okay, so here's what happened (laughs) and how I applied that this week, because I, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast, but I did just move states and I've moved into a new house, which is quite a lot larger than my old house, which means I have like no furniture in here. And there is no furniture available in the world right now because of all of the COVID um, manufacturing issues. And so I'm living in this like kind of empty house and my washing machine is crazy backordered. I've been waiting five months for this washing machine and it was supposed to be delivered yesterday. And they called me like on the day to be like, yeah, well, we have the schedule, but uh, we don't have it. (laughs) And I was like, okay. This is a really small problem in the scheme of like what other people are facing, but it doesn't matter because in, in my existence right now, one of the biggest problems to me functioning adequately is being able to wash things. Okay. So like I've come up with some solutions and I've managed it so far, but like I, in my head, the setup was that that situation was ending and then it didn't, which kicked up a bunch of emotions. And I ended up at the grocery store later that day. I needed to go anyway. And the shit I bought at the grocery store that day was a hundred percent an act of self-soothing. And I got home and I looked at all the stuff that I had bought and I was like, damn, I'm angry. <laughs> oh, thing. wow. Yeah. 
wow, am I angry about this? And then I sat down and I ate a lot of potato chips. And then when I was done with that, I had a bowl of ice cream. And I looked at that ice cream and I ate those potato chips and I went, damn, I was angry. And I even walked into my husband's office, right? Because he's working from home now. That's one of the reasons we moved was so we could all be spending more time together working from home. And I walked in and I was like, well, I just did some real angry eating. And he was like, oh yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty pissed off about this washing machine. And he was like, well, yeah, it's pretty upsetting. And I was like, yeah, I'm good now though. I'm going to go and like go call the laundromat people and see, you know, what we can do. And so like, I want to just say that just because I have these rules and I have these frameworks that I use to manage these things every once in a while, I don't do it right. And it's not like I'm saying I'm you know, every once in a while I have a cheat meal. It's not that at all. Like every once in a while, it's just like, absolutely. This is the best way I'm going to cope right now. But I also know it's finite, right? Because I'm not going to carry the shame forward with me of having eaten potato chips and ice cream for lunch, because that's what I did. <laughs> I felt like fucking ate potato chips and ice cream for lunch. And I didn't eat anything else because I felt like shit, to be honest. Like my body's not used to that. And you know, it definitely takes a toll when I do it. And I never used to feel that. I never used to notice that I just felt shame afterwards. Mm. And now mm. I don't that feeling that I get to shame, I equate it to well, my body didn't like that. <laughs> my mouth yeah. was awesome. And my stomach was like, hey, don't do that. You know, it's like, uh, I'm too old. I'm too old for that. So like the, the game is creating a structure that gives you enough satisfaction and enough like enjoyment from your food that you don't need these big release moments very often. And that when you do need them, it doesn't matter because it's in the noise of the rest of your food, right? So it literally is freedom within the framework of like, that was a blip, right? I'm not going to go do that again today. And even if I did, who cares? Because on the scope of things over the course of a year, the quantity of potato chips and ice cream I eat is far, far less than the quantity of vegetables and protein. It's far, far less. So it comes out in the wash, you know? And I think it's, it's unwiring this, this feeling food connection of like, I ate something that wasn't optimally healthy and I'm trying to lose weight. Therefore I fail. I'm going to lose any more rules, which brings us back around to fasting because what's the best way to control what you eat? Don't eat. <laughs> it does seem like the easiest way. So, okay. <laughs> I'm still not. It work. It can Say that again. Not, it's not that intermittent fasting doesn't work. It can. It can be done well and healthily, and it can be extremely effective for cutting fat, off, especially with um, younger men. <laughs> it works really well with young men. But if we can harken back to evolution again here, we can talk anthropology and how we kind of socially evolved to function as a society. Right? You know, the the men would go chase these animals down in groups quietly. <laughs> they didn't do a lot of talking or they wouldn't get the animal. Right. And they didn't get anything to eat while they were out there. They could be out for a couple of days. It was fine. They're chemically adapted to dealing with that. And I have no research to back that up. It's a hundred percent theory based on just, you know, things I've read over the last 30 years and my anthropology <clears throat> degree and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, if I just kind of use my own cumulative knowledge <clears throat> and speculate a bit, that makes sense. Why maybe men, 
don't have an issue with going long periods of time without food. And everybody knows that a man can skip meals and be totally functionally normal. And if you try to make a woman skip a meal, they'll rip your fucking face off. And it's like, that is pretty true. I mean, like we're supposed to be building people, you know, that's a full-time job making a baby. And you need a lot of, a lot of nutrients for that. We underestimate that, you know, like it literally will ravage a woman's body if they're not eating adequate nutrients when they're pregnant. Like people mm-hmm. talk about it all the time, their hair changes, their eyesight changes, their teeth move for Christ's sake. You know, you grow, this is, you didn't have it. You lose bone density. If you're not careful, you know, like this is an extreme thing your body does and it needs calories to do it. And so a female's body is like hardwired to eat. And yet our society is constantly telling us to get smaller. Yeah. Like how talk about an impossible paradigm. It's pretty shitty. It's an impossible paradigm. You're just constantly fighting with yourself forever, you know? So it's definitely spam. But, and I have it on Do Not Disturb, but my watch isn't on Do Not Disturb. So there you go, party town. So if you look at that and you, and you kind of can back away from trying to create this control for yourself and you can back away from the shame of having to eat anything at all, ever, then it all makes a lot more sense why this is such an impossible paradigm to maintain. It's impossible. You deserve to eat. You deserve to enjoy the food that you eat. You deserve to do a big exercise effort and come home and eat a nice meal. And whatever that nice meal looks like to you is fine. Right? But you get like, not you personally, but like one gets themselves in trouble when you start trying to tell yourself everything you're doing is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fasting because you are a professional athlete and you need to cut some body fat and you have a great nutritional foundation of, you know, lots of vegetables, adequate protein, healthy fats, you know, a good dialed in carb control. And you want to try experimenting with eating windows to get yourself down a couple extra percent. Fantastic. Go for it. If you are a yo-yo dieter and the reason you are considering implementing Intermittent fasting is to exert more control on what you perceive as your out of control self. You're setting yourself up for a lot of issues. So how could, how could, okay. So I remember way back when, because I remember every single session we've ever had. I think you um, <laughs> <laughs> the stuff you come up with, like, oh, I said that. All right. Cool. So way back, way back when, yeah, because I ruminate on it. Ruminate, is that a good word? Yeah. Yes, I think about it. Um, way back when we talked about, because when I was in this, this mindset of like, everything I do is wrong because I'm not losing weight. So obviously I need to overhaul everything. You had me just think about like, really, is it, you had me kind of break down what I was doing throughout the day and what I was eating. And was it really like the whole day and everything? Or was there a spot? that was just kind of tripping me up and doing a bit of like self-sabotage. And it really, you know, really obviously turned out that spot was like the, like the nighttime, like cap of like, I want something extra. And it was just enough to like, you know, make sure I wasn't losing weight at all. And I remember last time I brought up intermittent fasting, you were like, Oh, I hate that term. Like what? Like, cause I was like, I was just saying, 
oh, I want to, you know, stop eating past uh, this time at night. And you're like, just say that it doesn't have to be intermittent fasting. Just say, I, I don't want to eat past X time a night. And that's really where I'm getting at. But <laughs> I'm really excited by this idea of control. Yeah. And like, no, during this whole time, I'm not eating. I think I get really upset in the morning if I feel like I have to wait for my food or my coffee or anything. Uh, and I think that's just going to make me feel like I'm like on pins and needles and I just hate my life. But I do think it could be beneficial to saying I'm not going to eat past 8 p.m. because past 8 or 9 p.m. is really when I'm like, oh, I need some extra cap, like extra three or 400 calories. But it's like you're bleeding from your neck, right? And it's like gushing blood and somebody comes along and they have one of those like little circle band-aids and they're like, here, look, just that helps. And you're like, thanks. Because what the real <laughs> issue is here is that you're not satisfied by that time at night. So you're not addressing the problem by putting more rules on that. Or it's like yelling, I had a friend once and I won't name names or talk about it in any detail, but her, ch- her child was super upset and she literally yelled at her child for being upset and threatened to spank her. And was like, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to spank you. And I remember that really jumped out at me as like, obviously she's in a really frustrated place and not judging. It was more of like an observation of (laughs) human behavior at work, right? Because she can't take any more crying and she's willing to go to an extreme to make it stop. But the extreme she's willing to go to is creating more of the problem. Like who the fuck gets spanked and stops crying? But that wasn't, yeah, that's really, you know what I mean? In her head, that's not where she was at. She just wanted that to stop. And that's where you're getting stupid things. Like you just want the eating to fucking stop at night. So what you need is a big slap and it's just not going to stop it. So instead, like maybe ask your kid why they're so upset, right? Like what's going on? How come you're so upset? And the little kid can't articulate that very well. I'm not saying that that's like a magical parenting solution. Please don't go quoting me on that and getting mad about it. But like, you know, preventing that child from getting to that state in the first place is way more effective than trying to spank them quiet. Hmm. Don't spank yourself quiet. <laughs> Don't spank yourself quiet. I mean, that's the quote of the week, but that's not good. So, but it's like, I'm going to challenge you to make a different rule. And I'm going to ask you to make the rule something more like, I challenge myself to get to 8 p.m. and not want something. What do I have to do in my day? This is the challenge. This is, you've got to really look at this. Like, what do I have to do in my day so that by the time I get to 8 p.m., I don't want to eat? Okay, question. Because <laughs> none of this can be easy. None of it can just be like, oh my God, I totally get it. No, okay, question. I feel like it's be, it's become such an ingrained habit that it's not necessarily like, how you know, oh, I just want this so badly. It's more just like, well, I'm really used to this and this is my habit. So I'm trying to break that habit. Right. So, I mean, first you've got to take away the desire to eat, right? Like if you get to eight o'clock and you're not hungry and you don't feel like empty somehow physically, like, and I'm not talking about emotionally, like let's face it, it's been a year of COVID. We all feel a little emotionally empty right now. But like, (laughs) if you can get to that eight o'clock, moment and feel at least physically satisfied, then you can work on the other things. And now it's not about food. And that's a huge shift, right? Like it's, it's not, 
It's not that you're going to magically arrive at 8 p.m. and be like, I don't feel the urge to eat because I had such a satisfying food day. I'm magical fucking unicorn. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not happening. What is going to happen is if you adequately fuel yourself throughout the day and you get to 8 p.m. and you find your face in the pantry or the fridge or wherever, you will have the wherewithal at the moment to be like, uh, I'm in the pantry and it's 8 p.m. Is this really where I want to be? Do I really need to do this? What else could I be doing right now? How do I, how do I break this loop? It gives you the space. It doesn't solve the problem, but it gives you the space to solve the problem. And that's what I'm saying. The solution has to be up to you. Like I, I can give you 25 of my ways of trying to get my face out of the pantry and probably 10 of them work, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's really like, what's going to work for you? What's going to stop you eating? Mm. So, you know, just to tie up the intermittent fasting thing, I just, I want to go back to that for a minute, because as usual, when we start talking about one of these diet strategies, we end up off on a tangent about like specifically how it applies to you. And I mean that from the point of view of every client, like, yeah, this is (laughs) the reason we're doing this is because there are such common themes that happen for people in this environment. When we start talking about food and food rules and, you know, shame and all of this stuff, these things are common right? Like you're a unique and wonderful animal. You are a unicorn list, but you are also a <laughs> pony, you know, like. I'm not a pony. I'm six <laughs> feet tall. Okay, fine. You're what's the biggest part. So you're like one of those draft horses, right? So yeah. but the point is that like, as much as you're different, you share common issues and themes and thoughts and behaviors with other people sure. and help other people, right? To understand that this is a normal part of the process. So this is a normal part of the process is getting frustrated that this YouTube video you saw isn't the magic solution you've been hoping for, but it may hold some answers and it may have some components that you can use that you can take as tools and implement because the idea of having a limited eating food window or a limited eating period is reasonable and rational. And the problem that we've got, and the reason this makes so much sense to people is because in America that doesn't exist. I can eat at 3 a.m. I can eat at 9 a.m. I can eat at 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. Doesn't matter. I can eat any time of the day. And that free-for-all creates a lot of issues because you, you don't have any external structure to fall back on. And so we're left doing it for ourselves. And that's actually quite hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's way harder than just the grocery store is not fucking open. <laughs> it's not open. You can stand there and scream at it and cry. And I've done that um, and feel all the things you want and assault passersby because they also can't get into the grocery store. Those are all things that are possible to do. And but they don't change the reality. Your feelings don't change the reality in that situation. Whereas in this situation, your feelings can change the reality every single time. You can make a decision at any time of the day in America to exit your home and procure thousands of calories in under 20 minutes. Piece of cake. This is the only place I've ever been on earth where that's possible. That's crazy. And so it really is problematic because we're just not wired to behave well in that situation. Yeah. We're just not. So, you know, you you have to find your own strategies. And that's what I'm here for is to help you like, work through it. So again, I'm going to launch this challenge at you. What do you have to do during the day that gets you to 8 p.m. that creates that space for you to make a different choice? Do you have to eliminate those foods from your pantry for a while so that you're just not tempted to snack on anything so it's not worth it? Do you need to um, put a lock on the door and at eight o'clock the kitchen's closed? 
Do you need to just stand in front of the pantry and have an argument with yourself? Like I did in front of that Bila. It's a, it was Bila supermarket, which is a beautiful place. And one of my favorite supermarkets on earth. I remember standing outside of it and just literally bawling. I was so hungry, but it didn't change anything. Like, do you need to do that? Do you need to um, have Andrew sit on you so that you can't get off the couch after 8 p.m.? Do you need a, an activity in your hand? Do you need to knit or sew or craft some shit so that <laughs> you don't get up and you're not distracted? I guess. What is I it? I guess what it really is. Um, I mean, what I feel like around that time, I kind of feel just like empty and bored and lonely. Ah. And I'm like looking for a way to fill myself up figuratively and literally <laughs> just hey, like here's a, oh here's a really dumb thing but is super effective I found like I, I read this dumb study and who knows how true it is because who knows how true any study is but like it said that if you get less than nine hugs a day you're likely to be depressed so you could try tracking your hugs for the day maybe that's the thing you have to do maybe it's as simple as you just have to like set an alarm on your phone and walk out of your office and hug andrew every hour and then when you get to 8 p.m you'll feel full or hug your cat you can use cat too Cats oh i do that a lot i right? do that a lot yeah right maybe it's nine hugs maybe it's 15 hugs for you right now because you have a hug deficit and you need more hugs so you gotta like <laughs> fill up the hugs first and then you don't fill up with the food maybe that's it maybe it's that you know Maybe that's enough to get you to a place where you stand in front of the pantry and go, I don't need to do this. Or I do still need to do this. And I need something more than a hug. I mean, that's, whoops. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it doesn't always have to be around controlling the food. Mm-hmm. That's the mistake people make is they, the food is 99.999% of the time, not the issue. Yeah. Not the food. It's really the emptiness and the boredom and the loneliness. I mean, that's an unpleasant thing to identify. So good job. Yeah. Like having to admit that into the world sucks. But oh yeah. But I also feel like we're all a lot of us are in the same boat with it. So it just feels like I just wish I had something to do. Okay, find it. And that's the other option, right? Oh, you know that that's what it is. So now you got to put the work in there. That's where the work is. It's not but is it wrong? Is it, would, would it be potentially triggering or wrong if I, if I told you now, if I was like, I really want to work on making it a habit, not eating past 8 p.m. Is that yeah. wrong? No, no, because it's, it's not, but again, it's not just putting in restrictions that stop you from eating at 8 p.m. That's not the solution. You can take some of those steps, but the solution is solving the reason why you want to eat at 8 p.m. in the first place. Yeah. That's what but is it wrong to like initially put that in there? So I'm like, well, this is what this is what I want, but also keep in mind simultaneously doing both, I guess. Are you looking for a black and white answer for me of whether or not making food rules is right or wrong? I'm looking for, <laughs> hey, can I can I have this like no peeing past 8 p.m. as like a structural element plus focusing on what can I do to get to 8 p.m. where I where I don't feel like I need that because I'm so lonely and bored you can do it that way and you can track your response right because I think 
it's so hard to give up the the restrictive tendencies when it comes yeah. to that if you try, you might just feel like you're even having more of a free for all, right? So, you know, if you look at intuitive eating, intuitive eating will tell you absolutely not. Don't ever do that. Don't put these restrictions on yourself because it's creating a problem. But that's a whole other set of structures in place to try to help you repair your your relationship with food. But it's very black and white <laughs> again. So it's like, okay, well, maybe you say, I'm not going to eat after 8 p.m. and you strive for that. And then every time you do it and you break the rule, rather than beating yourself up, you would do an assessment of like, oh, okay, this time I didn't do it because this, this, and this happened. And then you make a change. So you can, con- you can constructively use those rules to improve your systems, but only if you're doing it constructively. Because if you're using it to beat yourself up and tell yourself you suck, you'll just keep doing it. So doing a bit, so in-depth analysis. So if, you know, putting into place, hey, I would really, I really want to set that structure of not eating past 8 p.m. But if I do just kind of going back, going through an analysis of what led to that so I can get more insight without it being a punishment, like why why do you suck? Why do you suck? You're never going to get to where you want to be. Right, because you (laughs) follow these simple rules. Yeah, it's not that hard. What's wrong with you? Right, so I mean, that's, that's what we've been getting at with intermittent fasting the whole time right? Is that like, you're, you're just setting yourself up. If you use it that way, you're just setting yourself up with another set of rules that you will break because you're creating a restrictive situation for yourself. So on that note, let's wrap this up. We can talk about it again. We can talk about, yeah, I think we need to have a part two. Yeah. This is definitely a part two. So we can look at a little bit more of the specific strategies of intermittent fasting next time. Okay. Um, but yeah. So chew on that for a while. I'm interested, interested okay. to see how this affects your 8 p.m. eating. We'll talk about it next yeah. week. Perfect. All right. Thanks for listening. And hopefully you got some useful information out of it. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Liz. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. <laughs> it's what you take away from them. Wow. Right. The more you know. Mm-hmm.